Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. It's time to record another memory at the Masters. This is episode number 41, Wednesday, April 10th, 2019, your official Doggy Juice Masters Preview Quick Pod. It's Masters Week, one of, if not the best, sports weeks of the entire year, uh, with the Final Four and College Hoops Championship earlier this week, and in my opinion, the end of the best three- to four-week period of time for sports of the entire calendar year. So in this episode, I will put a quick bow on the college basketball season, and then I will dive into some golf handicapping and preview the 83rd installment of the Masters for you all. As I said in a previous pod, I don't really, I don't originate my own numbers in golf and I can't golf worth a shit, but I'm being 100% honest when I say that golf is the sport that I'm most excited about diving into and learning how to handicap over the next few years. I'm utterly fascinated by it and to echo what Gil Alexander said over at VEASAN for quite a while now, golf is the sport that is ripest for a data revolution. Or data, data, whatever you say. Uh, you saw a guy like Joe Pita, my paisan, who wrote Trading Bases for Baseball. He took a sabbatical, and he dove into the world of stroke scanned analysis and as it pertains to the Masters and the analytical side of golf and the fact that we're just at the very beginning of the golf data revolution is very exciting to me. So I spent quite a bit of time diving into these numbers, sorting them out, but there's a lot of info out there, that's for sure. So hopefully in this pod, I will at least let you all know where the sharp value is and give you some golfers that you can, you know, hopefully that can earn you some money this weekend. And one more thing before I begin to, to update all of you on the Illinois sports betting legalization process, state reps are still in talks. They're working on the bill. They had a work week last week, but there's no real big news to report out of that right now, but it is still a critical juncture here in the state of Illinois. I've touched on it in the past few podcasts, but they're basically deciding which avenue they want to go down in terms of which state they want to model um, the sports betting, the, the structure here in Illinois. And uh, it's it really is. It's a pivotal point. So I urge you all to reach out to your, your representatives or at least educate people on the process because a few of these options they're looking at are, are terrible. Um, I think one of them is palatable for me, but not holding out too much hope that they're going to get this right, although I'm trying to do everything in my limited power to try and least bring at least educate people and bring it to people's attention so i have more updates for you on that as things continue to develop there but otherwise let's start off with a quick recap of the 2018-2019 college basketball season a big congratulations to the virginia cavaliers your 2019 college basketball national champions and what a story this was like everyone knows last year they lost as the first number one seed to a 16 seed, but just the way they lost, they got blown out in that game. Uh, UMBC just caught fire in the first half, and Virginia just, they were out of it the entire second half. Just the way they went about you know, losing that game last year, the whole narrative around them throughout this year, they really were a team on a mission. They were top three in my power ratings all season long, and I think there was value on them even before the tournament just because you know the narrative with them was, oh, this, this offense can't translate come March. Um, 
But they got lucky. Everyone knows that, the way that they went about it this year, um, winning and being behind in those last three games. Um, I think the last 15 seconds of all their games, they were down by at least three points or something crazy like that. But just improbable situations where I, I've heard the argument made and can't really argue it um, against it. But if in that, that Purdue game for Virginia, if they practice that, that end sequence in regulation, against just air, not another team being there, I don't think they'd make it more than a couple times out of 100. Just everything had to go perfectly right for them. Uh, Ty Jerome went on record and said that he was trying to make that free throw to tie the game up against Purdue, but uh, missed it, went short, ball got tipped out, and then that miraculous pass and, and score, you know, really within three seconds, I think it was like three or four seconds, something they probably couldn't even do if they practiced it against nobody for, you know, did it 100 times. So, that was incredible the way they went about even more improbably beating Auburn at the end. Uh, that was a foul. So anybody arguing otherwise, not correct. But there was other shit that the referees missed as well. So got fortunate, incredibly fortunate to win the Auburn game. And then, of course, at the ending of the national championship, what a game we had. That was one of the best uh, national title, title games I could remember seeing in a long time. Um, trying to think just off the top of my head, maybe 1999, Trajan Langdon, Duke versus Connecticut was up there, but I think there were some other ones at that time that uh, that were just as good. But such a great game. Hats off to Chris Beard and Texas Tech. Um, they made an incredible run in this tournament as well. They could have easily won that game. A couple things at the end there that really, I mean, man, they blew that one. I mean, obviously Virginia had a big lead, but Texas Tech up three points at the end there. How do you collapse on D there? You should be guarding the three-point line. Give them the layup. Ugh, just ripping my hair out when I think about that and then also the shot that Culver took they had the timeout Uh, one of my biggest pet peeves in basketball in general but especially college basketball is how some players you know they settle for that three-pointer at the end and Culver he was not having it also I know you want to put the ball in your best player's hand but the way that Mooney was shooting the way that uh Paisan Moretti was shooting he really wanted to get them the ball in that spot too they were open so tough way to end it if you're a Texas Tech fan but the game was incredible Virginia was the team of destiny I think and they'll make a movie off this one someday just the way that everything happened being down against Gardner Webb by 14 points in the first half I think it was they were losing at halftime you can only imagine what's going through the players heads at that point given everything that they've gone through um, in the past year so hats off to Virginia that's an incredible story and I'm really happy just as a basketball fan that we have that story now Um, Virginia Cavaliers Wahoos what a tournament it was. Congratulations to you. And that's it for the college basketball season. My favorite sport is over until November, which sucks. But the good news is one of the best sporting events of the year always follows the weekend after the Final Four. And that, my friends, is the Masters from Augusta, Georgia. So as I said, this will be a quick podcast here, but um, before I dive into the 2019 version of the Masters, just some quick thoughts on golf handicapping. As I said at the Open, golf is the sport that's ripest for a a betting revolution. Gil Alexander's been saying that on Decent. I'm a big believer in that. Um, And as I've touched on in an earlier podcast as well, here's how I have learned to assemble a portfolio for an individual golf tournament. This is after the past few years of really tweaking it and kind of learning Um, just how to go about golf betting because it could be confusing to some but there's a few different ways you can bet golf obviously there's the futures market and the more I've learned on this your default setting should always be that there is no value when it comes to the futures market because there rarely is and when you consider the true odds and look at the math and the players um, you're just not getting the true odds that you should be there are obviously exceptions to this there's a few players 
that uh, you know you can find a little bit of value on them in the futures market, but that's usually not the best way to take advantage of the mispricing on that golfer. Um, I'll touch on the best way in just a second here. But um, in terms of the futures market, what I do, I like to diversify my golfers and not just take everybody outright to win. I like to take a percentage of what I want to invest on the golfer and also put them put down a bet on top five, top 10, sometimes top 20 on them as well. Um, I think it's just kind of foolish sometimes when you think about it. If you're just taking a guy to win the tournament, you need him to win. But you can find good prices sometimes on on them uh, to finish top five or top ten as well. So it's nothing worse than having a guy, you know, and you, you're unable to hedge or something like that, and you have him a big price, and then you know he comes up just short. So a lot of situations where you you want to make sure you're diversifying with the top five, top tens. But the best mon- the best way to make money in golf easily, and any professional better will agree with this, and can't really argue it at all, is through matchups. Uh, matchups is where you find the best value. If you find a golfer who you think is mispriced, they're going to mis- be mispriced in the in the matchup market as well. So that's where you really can make your hay in betting golf. Um, also three ball betting, um, especially you know first round matchups. You, th- you see uh, three players paired up against one another. It's not as good as matchups because usually the rake is worse. Uh, casino doesn't give you the the true odds, and they take too much off the top. But you could often find good pricing value on uh, in three balls, three ball matchups. And then finally, to make or miss the cut, you can find good pricing value here as well on players. Whether or not you want, to, you think they're going to make or miss the cut. Um, usually, there's a good straddle by some sites, but if you if you can find a good out, you can find some good value there as well. So in terms of golf handicapping, there's been a lot of talk the past couple of years on strokes gained analysis. It really allows for insight on how a golfer does relative to the other golfers playing the same round. And I've touched on this a couple times um, over the past few weeks, or at least earlier in this podcast too, but Joe Pita wrote a book, uh, Joe, Pita, Joe Pita's Tour Guide Presents a 2019 Masters Preview. I talked about it a couple months ago or several weeks ago on the podcast, recommended that people read that book. He basically dove in, took a sabbatical from his normal job because he um, wrote Trading Bases, which is a huge um, groundbreaking baseball book. Um, Used to be a Wall Street trader and really interesting guy. He basically took a sabbatical, got his hands on um, a data set on last year's Masters tournament that had never really been uh, looked through before, and he went through every single stroke from every single golfer. I think it was 87 golfers or whatever in last year's Masters, and compiled a stroke scanned analysis on that. And he, of course, has a you know top 10 predicted finish for this year's Masters based off that data. And he kind of dives into just the future of sports betting with you know golf sports betting, and uh, just how popular it is and where he thinks it's going. So it's it's really just a fascinating read, and it just really serves to shut the fuck up it really serves to further my belief that um that golf really is just poised for a data revolution there's so much stuff out there that's largely untouched but stroke scan analysis just makes perfect sense because it gives you a good insight into how golfers are in relation to the other golfers that they're playing with and that's you know the information you need to to properly handicap i think so um, in terms of handicapping individual tournaments it's a balancing uh, you got to balance recent form, course history, and the course fit for the particular player. Like how well do they perform on similar courses? Um, but the real question is how do you weigh all of this properly? It's undeniable that you should do some weighting on course history, uh, but not every course should be weighted the same. In this, like TPC Sawgrass, that that should be 
um, weighted a lot lower, probably the lowest of any tournament throughout the calendar year. But here in Augusta, for the Masters, there probably should be more weight than probably any other event on on um, how players have performed on that course in the past, just because it's such a, a unique course and it's you know the same conditions. So um, in terms of, of form, um, lots of guys do past 100 rounds for long-term form. Um, some guys weight... Um, more recent rounds higher than than the you know previous hundred rounds like the past twenty or thirty rounds for individual golfers more indicative of their current form than obviously their past hundred rounds but um, you really got to find the fine line there in in weighting that um, there this could also be tough when guys make a quick leap uh, you see some golfers just really take a, a big leap in like a six month or one year period but I think you have less scenarios when you're overweighting guys if you're less likely to um, you know, to put a lot of weight into that. So it's kind of similar to power ratings in football and basketball. You kind of have your base power rating on a team, and usually they're going to perform within that power rating. And if you keep raising them and stuff, usually they're going to find that baseline. And people tend to overreact in short, small sample sizes, especially. And I think that applies to golf as well. You can apply to, you can overreact to a short sample size, but usually the golfer is going to play within their rating, especially in the long term. So um, the most important thing, though, on golf handicapping before I really just dive into the 2019 Masters is market, market, market. It's all about the market, and the Masters is very unique in that the market is up for a lot longer as compared to other tournaments. I mean, you can get at some of these prices right after the Masters last year, so you can find good pricing, but also just pricing differences, shopping around. This is important in sports betting in general, and Doggy Juice Top Ten Commandments. Um, shopping and having multiple outs is one of the Top Ten Commandments, and here you see it in the Masters too. There's just huge price differences on individual golfers from shop to shop. If you look around, you can find guys, you know, at a huge range on, uh, on individual golfers. You can find a guy at 25 to one somewhere and 35 to one somewhere else today. Like I'm not even shitting. So, really, having multiple outs and shopping and getting the best price is absolutely key especially if you're going to be betting the masters every single year doing yourself a disservice if you're not taking the best price possible so if i have any advice for anybody that wants to make a wager on, on the masters um, every year is it's to shop and have multiple outs so with that backdrop let's now dive into the 2019 masters preview Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia. CBS Sports proudly presents the Masters. So for the Masters itself, it's certainly the tournament that is most predictable, or at least more predictable than any other tournament in terms of course history. But Augusta, and this is pretty well established, to have success at Augusta, you really have to be good with your second shot, your approach shots. Um... The greens, everyone knows, those are extremely difficult. If you've been checking out those Phil Mickelson videos on Twitter. Uh, but obviously it's a difficult course, but it really is built up to benefit guys who um, are good with their approach shots and greens and regulation statistics, uh, especially guys who are good in those stats uh, tend to fare very well at the Masters. So um, weather and tee times for this week, uh, this this is important, and, and when, you're, when you're handicapping any golf tournament, you have to check out the weather because there's certain guys that perform better um, with higher winds, and guys obviously that don't do as well when it's really windy. As a general rule, Europeans and Australians do better in wind 
um, makes sense because they're more used to those windy conditions, especially uh, when you're talking about some some Aussies or some guys who are uh, used to playing those those courses right off of the coast when you get a lot of wind. So in general, that applies. Um, and there's certain American guys who are really good wind players too, like you know, Ricky Fowler. But um, in terms of the weather forecast for this particular weekend, um, and this matters for your tee times too, um, it's changing a lot, but it looks like Sunday is really what's going to be messy. Um, might be clearing up a little bit now, but Sunday afternoon, I've seen some forecasts that have wind gusts up to like 30, 35 miles an hour on Sunday and could get a spot this year where we get that, that Monday finish if, if shit gets really bad on Sunday. But um, the weather is still up in the air, but it looks like rain overnight on Thursday night. Guys who go late on Thursday will then go early on Friday. That's the way the setup is. you got to also keep that in mind. Guys who tee off early on Thursday are going to tee off late Friday. Guys who tee off later on Thursday are going to tee off early on Friday. So um, guys who go late on Thursday and go early on Friday might have more of an advantage um, or more of an advantageous course in the morning on Friday. Softer track, the greens uh, can, can uh, hold more. After it rains overnights, and that you know, it's assuming it does rain overnight on Thursday. But uh, at the same time, those in charge of Augusta are, are like Ed Harris playing God in the Truman Show. They just have so much control over the air and weather patterns over that course. So kind of take that with a grain of salt as well. But it's something to consider Friday morning, having a more advantageous green. So players might be a little more um, aggressive with their approach shots on Friday morning to take advantage of that. In terms of futures for this weekend that I'm looking at, like I said earlier, your default setting for futures should always be that there's not value. So remember the old adage that I've been kind of chirping all along, but um, the best bets you make are often the bets that you don't make. So it's better to, to not lose than to win, especially when you're paying that vig to the bookie. But in my opinion, the best value in this tournament that you could find, and this is this usually applies uh, for other golf terms for me too, uh, best futures value you can find is that in the middle tier market. So, you know, guys are in like the 30 to 40 to 1 range who might not be properly priced, especially maybe due to, you know, recent course form or what have you. Um, and guys that kind of fit that mold this week, and I'm going to touch on these guys later, but uh, Jason Day, Hideki Matsuyama, Paul Casey, and even John Rahm are in that range where I think you can find a little bit of value, um, especially when you consider a guy like Jason Day, who's like an elite golfer, and he's been priced to like, you know, the Dustin Johnson or, um, you know, Justin Thomas and top guys like, you know, Rory um, at the top of the field before. And he's had an incredible year so far this year already, too. A bit of a head case. I've also heard he's like a hypochondriac as well. But um, Jason Day, I think, you know, when he's getting priced in that in that range, you know, I, I saw him 33 to 1 today. So that was, that was a play I made. Um, but also, guys I'm fading this week, I uh, like to, you know, go through and find guys that are, you know, in my in my mind, mispriced by the betting market. And I think the one and that, that really applies here is a guy I really like because he's my paisano, but uh, Molinari, Francesco Molinari. I think he's overrated to begin with, but uh, but also his course history at Augusta leaves a lot to be desired, especially when you consider where he's being priced. Um, he's a negative strokes gained at Augusta, minus 0.24 strokes gained in his seven appearances. That's 24 rounds. Um, he's played 24 rounds there. So Right now, as I record this, you could actually still find Justin Thomas over Molinari at uh, minus 135 on Bavada. I think that's great value. If you're looking to fade Molinari, you could take him some of these matchups. I think the market has moved a bit on him, though, besides that, that one prop on Bavada. But um, 
you know, I've heard a lot of sharp guys that agree with this. Molinari just getting a little bit of a mispricing just because of his recent form. Obviously, you know, last year he had the big breakthrough and won the British Open. And is great, but he's been notoriously short off the tee, even though he's he's gained distance on his drives. Um, incredibly accurate, but I think that really hurts his second shots if he's not able to, to have as long of a drive in his first drive. It just means for that much more of a difficult second shot. And as I said before, the second shot in Augusta is incredibly important, those approach shots. So I think that does not benefit him. Um, so you could find some mispricing on Molinari and fading him this week. Another guy who I'm looking to fade, the numbers, you know, from what I've gathered aren't that great doing this, but Patrick Reed, the defending champion, he hasn't been in good form besides putting. And and from my handicapping angle, the added pressure that comes in with being the defending champion, all the commitments that he has, all the people he has to talk to as the defending champion this week, um, I think that's that could throw him off. It's obviously not going to be a normal Masters tournament for him as the defending champion. Uh, we've seen a trend, too, on guys who perform very poorly following their first Masters win. I think that could that could happen with Patrick Reed this week. I know a lot of people don't like the guy, so they'd be happy if that happened. But um, I think could, it, it could be worth a look, actually taking a slice on him to miss the cut. Um, seeing around plus 275 on that at some places. So it could be worth just taking a small little price on him there um, to not make the cut. So I will be looking to fade them in matchups, especially Molinari. I've already got at um, a couple of them, but uh, that's, that's the way I'm looking on those but um before i give out the golfers that i have in pocket for this weekend we have someone else who's here to let you know where his master's money is what's up what's up long time everybody it's a danimal here checking in talking masters the greatest event in golf well me and the doggy juice have been g-chatting a lot because i'm convinced none of us work well i know i don't but um this event is wild you can make an argument for so many players. It seems like the, the long shots are playing hot. The favorites are just ridiculously good. It's just, it's ridiculous. A um, couple of my plays for outrights. I got Phil at 45 to 1. Not proud of it. He won't win. But I bet it in January when, when he was hot. So that throw it out the window. Finau at 30 to 1 is um, the Joe Pita play. So I'm sure everybody and their moms is on that one. Kucher at 50 to 1 are great odds. Kucher's had a ridiculous year, even after stiffing his caddy. Whatever. Don't care. Hideki. I'm going to go to the grave with Hideki. Me and Doggy Juice. The guy can't putt to save his life. But, oh, he's always there. So I got him outright. I got him top 5. And I got him top 10. Justin Rose at 14 to 1. I usually hate taking anybody under even 20 to 1. Like Dustin Johnson at 10 to 1, Rory at 7 to 1. You just can't bet those. You can't. If they win, so be it. But I, I refuse. So I went on Justin Rose, two units at 14 to 1. And then lastly, Bryson DeChambeau. That nerd, can't stand him, puts with the pin in, brings out his protractor. He's ridiculous. He's such a nerd. But I have him outright at 25 to 1. I have him top five, and I have him top ten. However, I think my pick is John Rahm. Even though I don't have any money on him, John Rahm is my pick. I just, 15 to 1, I just, I can't pull the trigger. But I wish I could get 18, I wish I could get 20, my book just sucks. And lastly, a couple other top five and top tens. Um, Henrik Stenson, I think he had a great showing, so check out his top five and top tens, as well as Patrick Cantley top five and top ten that is it for the danimal 
heading to Scottsdale for a bachelor party, hoping to watch as much matches as possible, but who knows when I'm blacked out. Danimal out. Thank you very much for that, Danimal. Um, him and I are clearly seeing eye to eye on some of these. So here, here is the official uh, Doggy Juice Masters horses for this weekend uh, in terms of golfers that I already have in pocket. Justin Rose, as Danimal mentioned, he's 14 to 1. And I know Joe Pieta, who I've mentioned, he has uh, Justin Rose favored over everybody else in the field right now. So not much value at 14 to 1 at all. Uh, if you're getting him at like 10 to 1 or 12 to 1, that's probably like no value. But I think you can get slight value on him there if you can shop around. But Justin Rose, you know, he's number one rated player in the world. But at the same, you know, which which actually doesn't fare well for Masters performance, I guess. Like number one in the world has not fared well recently. But um, Justin Rose playing incredible golf. When you look at his strokes gained in the Masters, uh, in Joe Pita's book, it's pretty incredible. Um, and he's, you know, he he's a guy who could be, a great value play, I think, this weekend. Um, Jason Day mentioned him. Mentioned that earlier that I, I found thirty-three to one on him just earlier today. So I think if you guys if you have a bet online account, that's where I saw it. Uh, so Jason Day um, at thirty-three to one. Hideki Matsuyama, as Danimal touched on, I I bet on Hideki Matsuyama to win the Masters every single year. So I think if he does win it this year, maybe I'll break even lifetime. So um, he just. Is when it, when you consider a second shot, that's where his bread and butter is. He can't putt as Danimal touched on, but if his put, putter does catch fire in the Masters, that's gonna be the year he wins it. Um, he doesn't need to count on his putter at all though, because his approach shots are just so good, and he's been under uh, really good form recently as well. So I think that's good value on him. And I got him at thirty-five to one. I think the consensus now is twenty-eight to one. Not gonna find value on that, but uh, look at him in the top five, top ten market as well. Paul Casey, I've got him. At 35 to 1, I think he's 25 to 1 now. I think the value's kind of uh, up on him, but he's another guy who's uh, strokes gained, uh, points to some value. Um, also on top fives and top tens with these guys, and another guy about is Tony Finau, uh, as Danimal mentioned as well. He's, spoiler alert, number one on Joe Pita's strokes gain analysis and number one in his projection. The problem with Finau is his recent form is very poor as evidenced by his rise up to 50 to 1. I've even seen 55 to 1 on him now to win the tournament. So could be worth it when you consider his course history, Tony Finau. And this is a guy where if he gets you know his form right, if he gets his mind right and everything, he has potential to win a few majors in his career, I think. So Tony Finau, he's in pocket as well. Other guys that I have in pocket where I think there's actually some value in the, um, is I've mentioned them already, Ricky Fowler and John Rahm. I scooped up some some Ricky 22 to 1 a few days ago. When that showed, he's a great win player, as I've already touched on him. Last year, he should have probably won the Masters. I think uh, if his score last year, maybe it was his strokes gained. I don't know if it was his actual score, but it was good enough to win the Masters seven out of the past 11 or 12 years. I forget which one. So, Ricky, everyone says, hey, he can't win the major, but this guy's putting up scores that are, in a lot of years, good enough to win majors. So, could be a mental thing, can't get over the hump. I, I could see the argument there, but this guy's going to win eventually, and He's right there with his master's history is really good. And when you're seeing him priced, you know, above 20 to 1, I think that's actually value for a guy of his caliber. Um, and then in terms of John Rahm, no question that he is a head case. No doubt about that. But the skill set is there to win this thing. And if you could find him at 18 or 20 to 1, as Dan kind of touched on, uh, that's a nice ticket to have on Sunday. It could be a nice ticket to have on Sunday. Not much value on him there, but certainly more value than taking a guy like Rory McIlroy 
who has you know nominally better skill set at you know something like eight to one. So I think that's kind of what everyone's thinking about John Rahm. He's a head case, he can't win, but skill sets there. I think he finished fourth last year. He's right there last year, and his um, his first or second year last year. So he hasn't had many Masters appearances, but he did fare well and showed that he uh, he could succeed there last year. So I think he could be poised to win it as well. Um, lesser plays that I have, guys like um, like Leishman. He has contended there before. Um, I was on him last year, and he was um, he was at the top. He was in the top group on Saturday with Patrick Reed last year. Ended up finishing ninth last year, but he's always fared very well at Augusta. Also, very good wind player. And that's about. It. I think I have a couple other smaller tickets on guys. I think I have um, Kisner at sixty to one for a really small ticket. A couple other small little slices, little just I don't know, just small tickets on guys like lotto tickets, but. One play I did make is I laid minus 400 on Tiger not to win a major this year. He must start the Masters for that um, bet to be live. But um, I think if that ticket does lose, this week is the best chance to lose. And I will not be mad if I lose that that wager. But basically at minus 400, that's saying that, uh, you know, betting that, saying that he has less than a 20% chance to win a major this year, which I think is value. Uh, if you're playing the other side, which is obviously worse because of the straddle, you know, you're basically saying he has more the, than a 20% chance to win a major this year. That's kind of tough. And this crop, this field of players and everything, it's going to be tough for him to win one. And I think Tiger could win another major in his career for sure, maybe even multiple. He's shown that he's back, but the, that's a price I just couldn't pass up at minus 400. Um, so, and as I said, that's a wager I'll gladly lose. But yeah, that'll do it for this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod for Updates and best bets, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Doggy Juice. Cron Harper interview is coming. I know I keep tickling everyone's dick with that, but the guys over at Cron Harper, uh, they're staunch lefty supporters, so they actually gave me uh, the Cron Harper top five for this weekend. It's very Phil-heavy, and here it is, and I quote, Phil Mickelson, chill Mickle dick, trill Dickelson, ill suck my mick, and Tony Fino. That's the Cron Harper Top 5 for the Masters. Best of luck to everyone with their action this weekend. And as always, I'll be back next week with a fresh new episode. Enjoy the Masters. Enjoy the voice of uh, Jim Nance. And I will talk to you all soon. Doggy Juice out. (laughs) 